you can be the smartest person in the world, you can't make yourself want something out of pure logic. The stuff that motivates your primal self, it's probably not gonna necessarily make you feel too impressed with yourself. Don't start with should first. That's too logical. It's gonna it's gonna deflate you. It's gonna keep you flat-footed. You gotta start with want. This isn't a bad thing, okay? This actually unlocks what is most unique and interesting about you. Welcome, guys. Another episode, Man vs. World. You know it. You love it. We're here again, joined, as always, by our buddy Pete. Pete, how you doing, bro? I'm doing great, Mark. Hope you're doing well. Today, we're talking about the real reason why phones are so addictive. If Hamza is quitting YouTube, we're going to be talking about that. And then we're also going to ask the question, should men have women friends? But before we get into all to that, uh, Mark, it looks like you started a new thing on the Self Mastery Club, this extreme accountability. Ability log. What's what's the deal with that, man? Ah, yeah. So, um, I'm 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 a crazy person, right? Like, you know, I, if you guys have followed me for a while, you know, I'm like obsessed with this stuff, like reaching my potential and everything like that. And uh, I, I have a holy fire burning inside of me to 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 reach that point. And I realized something pretty uh, tremendous, which I kind of like knew, which is because I mean, I, I built my business around this principle, but it's just something that I realized I wasn't utilizing to its fullest extent, which is, hey, we're social creatures, okay? Like, fundamentally, we are pack animals uh, in the same way that, like, a chimpanzee is and a dog. We got a very similar brain structure, a very similar limbic system. And those kinds of creatures, they're designed to function in a pack. Bottom line, that's the way they're they're organized. Like, you can almost not even think of them as an individual thing, like a crocodile or something like that that's just has its own solo programming. We have like this network programming where so much of our motivations and interests and stuff are completely controlled by our associations with the people around us, with our connections, uh, you know, uh, socially and culturally and that sort of thing. And so what I realized was if I really want to reach this top ladder, like ladder, then I need to utilize not only all my own personal power, but I have to be maximizing the power of that network effect, that psychological networking uh, system. And so uh, that's what the, the extreme accountability log is about. Basically, I am holding myself completely accountable to the self-mastery club. I'm letting them in on, you know, what am I doing each day? What have I failed at? What have I succeeded at? Like, you know, I was um, just yesterday, I did a, a retroactive uh, sort of analysis of like this mistake I had made with my dopamine detox. It wasn't like a big one, but it's like, hey, I failed at this point. Well, what did I change? How did I fix it? Like, wh- how do you actually have to think about something to reprogram the behavior? You know, most guys, they just look at something and say, oh, I screwed up there. Do better next time. Guess what? You won't. <laughs> There's certain things that have to happen in your brain in order for that to actually shift. And so, you know, I walk people through this stuff. I'm doing the work in public. And uh, it's amazing, you know. It's it's um, it's something that I, I always wanted to do, but I was always kind of afraid to do because I was like, oh, I don't want to let people like know about my my mistakes, or I don't want to let people know about my goals, so then they can hold me accountable. But like, that's exactly what I want because you know uh, I've grown and I'm more in all in than I've ever been before. And it was one of those things in the past where I just I didn't even know that I was. I was still holding back because, you know, when you, you live in this world of distraction and vice, you just get so, you, 
your own perception of what you're capable of is so limited because you have to constantly have these big breaks. It's like, oh, I only got so much energy. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna overwhelm myself. Oh, it's too hard. Oh, it's, too... it's because your brain's not lined up. Like, if you like the hum- human potential is unbelievable. You look at some of the things that people have accomplished in this world, and you have to ask yourself, well, how the heck do they do that? Well, I guarantee you two things. One, they had the social connections that supported it. And then two, they weren't distracted by bullshit. <laughs> Guaranteed. You get those two things in order, your brain becomes like this heat-seeking missile that is completely unstoppable, that will just continue after its goals. And so that's what I'm trying to engineer, and you know it's working. So if you guys are interested to follow along with that, then make sure you check out the Self Mastery Club. We actually have a brand new training for you guys. Uh, it's not a not a live webinar anymore. It's just like you know on demand. You click it, you sign up, you get it. If you've done the previous webinar, there's some crossover, but there's also new content in there as well. Uh, I've upgraded the whole thing. I'm trying to make that literally the best piece of free content that I have out there. So if you haven't checked it out, please. Click the link in the description, sign up for it. It's called uh, Manhood Mastery, Three Keys to Neuromasculine Training. I'm gonna teach you how to reprogram your brain in a way that actually works with your male biology and really allows you to tap into that high, these higher level states that I'm talking about here. So make sure you click that link, sign up, check it out. Let me know what you think, because I think you're gonna love it. So you're gonna be talking about these goals and stuff that you know, and doing kind of a daily log of your experience of going all in. What kind of stuff are you going to share? How much are you going to share? Are you going to be sharing everything? What are you going to be doing with that? Well, I mean, I'm going to be sharing most of it. I'm going to try and keep it obviously relevant to you guys and uh, and whatnot. But the like, for example, the other day I was talking about how like what it takes to motivate your emotional mind. Like people today, there's this like trendy idea. It's like oh, motivation's for losers. Discipline is what winners use. It's like no, you're just not smart enough to know how to motivate yourself. Like the thing is your motivational system. It's like I said, it's primitive. Okay. It's, it's like of a mammal, right? It's not of, it's like our emotional system is not much more sophisticated than most other mammal mammals. Like it's, it's pretty similar. It's our rational brain. That's so much more advanced. But the thing is our rational brain doesn't have direct access to our motivational neurochemicals. So what that means is you can be the smartest person in the world. You can't make yourself want something out of pure logic. All right. Like logic can help, but doesn't hurt. And every once in a while, you know, a logical thought might, you know, get all the tumblers to fall into place and you might become motivated after it. But generally, that's not really what does it. It's the thinking of your limbic system uh, that really determines how pumped about something, how resistant you are, etc. And so I was just sharing an experience about how, all right, I had to go like do all this work um, that was, I was just burnt. I was getting tired at that point because I had been working on, it's actually, it was actually finishing up this web class that I told you guys to go check out and because I put so much work into it in the past like, you know, week or two and I was like, man, I got so much more I still have to do and I had to like go devote an entire day to it and my primal self, my emotional self was just like, eh, meh, I don't really want to, eh. It was just like being a little bitch and I was like 
trying to like reason with it. I was like, hey, come on. I mean, like, let's think about what you stand to logically gain for this. It's like, oh, well, you're going to be able to make this big thing that I'm going to help a lot of guys. Uh, you know, it could maybe help the business a lot. It's like, you know, you have your duty to your followers, to your family. And it's like all that stuff. My promise was like, nah, 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 I don't care. <laughs> and I was like, like, the thing is, I could always force myself to do it. I know how to white knuckle. I've got, I've got plenty of discipline reserve, but like, if you don't have to do that, why would you? And so I just like, I just stopped trying to think logically and I was like, okay, well, what do you want primal self? What's actually interesting to you? Um, <laughs> and the stuff that motivates your primal self, it's probably not going to necessarily make you feel too impressed with yourself. So for me, it was like, ah, it was like, I want this expensive pair of boots. I was like, um, well, you know, you don't, that's not the best investment right now. Like that's the logical brain. And he's like, well, that's what I want. <laughs> I was like, all right, fine. If it does really good and you know, you know, the funnel takes off and everything like that, well then you know what? We'll get you those boots. And then all of a sudden, whoo, like a bat out of hell, my primal self is like, let's rock. And it's like, that's what it is. And it's like, it's embarrassing to say that, but this, this goes with like, uh, the point of like, you can't tell yourself what you should feel. Don't start with should first. That's too logical. It's gonna, it's gonna deflate you. It's gonna keep you flat footed. You got to start with want. And what's cool about this is that this isn't a bad thing. Okay. This actually unlocks what is most unique and interesting about you because logic is at least to the extent to which it is correct, it's pretty pure, right? Everybody, if you're looking at something like that's the rules of logic, it's objective. It's just like, you know, X plus Y equals, you know, Z. It's just like the, it's all one thing. It's just, what is the truth? If you break it down like this, but the thing that differentiates us is not our logic. It's our irrational desires. It's the things that light us up that we have no control over that, that aren't about logic. And so it's like, if you want to find your unique vibe, if you want to find your style, if you want to find your aesthetic, if you want to find even just your path in life, you got to start with want because that's where you find your differentiation. That's where you find the stuff that is uniquely you. And we have this idea that, well, that at least I think guys struggle with this way more than women because guys tend to be more on the logic side of things. And they look at this emotionality, they look at this uh, deviation from pure logic as a negative, but it's not. Like, if you think about, like, a lot of the stuff that's most, that's, that's very valuable, like, that people have a strong attachment to, like, things like music, things like art. I was, like, uh, you know, just looking at, like, guitar stuff the other day. Um, and actually, no, what it was, it was, I was reading Perry Marshall's newsletter and he was just talking about how the sentimental value of certain things like collector memorabilia, 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 my goodness. Yeah. Of like the, yeah, stuff. But like he was talking about this guitar from this famous, um, Irish rocker. I can't even remember his name, but it was like this super beat up guitar like it was like so worn down it was scratched up like it got stolen one time but it was the only guitar of its type in all of like Ireland or and like so the guy couldn't even sit like pawn it so he tossed it into a ditch it got dinged up more like the guy's jeans like like the bled into the back of the guitar and it was just like this ratty thing and it's actually like like priceless if you're a classical rock uh you know collector right and it's these imperfections 
in us that actually make us like special and unique. And when you embrace this properly, this is where your unique character will get to shine through. Like, you know, it's like the people don't love leather because it's the perfect material. You know, you could, you could use some synthetic thing if you wanted something that never faded or creased or whatever. But that's why people actually like leather because it gets a patina. It gets like a unique wearing to it, right? Like it'll mold to your, the imperfections of you. And um, this is the same sort of thing. It's like learn how to embrace your primal irregularities. Learn how to motivate yourself using whatever it is you need to do. Like another time I had, it's like, oh, well, well, you get this stupid cinnamon pretzel if you go and you finish this task. And it's like, that's what I wanted, you know? It's, I'm gonna be cleaning up my diet quite a bit here soon, so I'm like trying to, trying to get it all in. Uh, and that was what was motivating. And learning how to do that, like strike bargains with your primal self, uh, is super, super essential. It's like, why would you leave all that power on the table just to like worship at the altar of, you know, pure logic, when in reality, you're like, no one really wants to live like a freaking robot. Become more human, not less human. And that means like marrying both the logic and the emotionality. Make sure that both, as long as there's a win-win between both of them, then you're, you're doing great. Like what you don't wanna do is let your primal self set rewards that your logical mind says, well, no, that's actually worse for us. That's actually gonna hurt you. That's gonna cause you more suffering in the long run. That'd be a win-loss. You'd win emotionally in the moment, lose rationally, which means later you would also lose emotionally then too. So it's like, oh, well, you know, if I get that done, I get to smoke a little puff of heroin. It's like, no, <laughs> that's not what I'm recommending. Like it's gotta, they both have to agree. And so, you know, give that a shot. It's. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. I have a box of Walmart frozen corn dogs in my freezer. I've just been going in there willy-nilly. But I'm thinking like, man, maybe there's some untapped potential here that I'm missing out on. I should try this. Dude, give it a shot. That's the let me let me know I on your reports to me. Uh you got to let me know like what what was the task that earned you a corn dog. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> okay. Right on. So let's let's go on to the next story here. So we got an interesting uh, update from Hamza here because he just posted an unfiltered update, and it sounds like he's playing with the idea of quitting YouTube. And uh, here's the clip. Let's see. Years ago, I ended up almost visualizing the video I would make to say goodbye on the main channel, where I would just kind of say like, I've said what I can say about self improvement and becoming a man. Now, for me to go forward, I kind of need to take like more time to develop myself to become the kind of man who has more things to say than just the usual. And visualizing this video that I would make to say goodbye to you, it felt fucking awesome. This is somewhat of a, a low point in my life, I won't lie. You know, I don't, I don't want to lie to you, it's so easy for me to come on and like, oh, I'm in Thailand, you know, this was the goal. This was the goal for the last two years to get to this point where, you know, I'm a digital nomad, I'm, I'm working online. This was the big goal. This was the goal that got me out of depression. This was the goal that got me out of the toxic relationship I was in two years ago with the girl that I was living in. It was this goal of like becoming a digital nomad, an online entrepreneur, and then coming to Thailand. I'm here now and it's like, oh yeah, I was happier at home. <laughs> uh, well, I hope I was a fixer that figures out what it is he's supposed to do. Um, and 
that's th- this is such a important kind of conversation because so often we think that it's just like you know if I just get what I want right now I will be happy and that's not the way it mm. works like the way it works really is you just have to be moving towards something you want and this is why I'm stressing I stress desire so much is because that's how our brain works like you can be a person who's all the way at the bottom of things and like you could be a you know um you'd be homeless with a completely screwed up life but if you feel like you are moving in the right direction you will be happier than the guy who is at the very top of the world who's worried that he's going down even if it's just like oh i'm about to lose some of my money or you know uh, i'm about to not have this deal go through or whatever like guy at the bottom is going to feel better than the guy at the top because it's all about how you perceive your your direction that's it that's what determines your happiness it's like are you moving in a place you want to move and it's only when you're not moving that the other stuff starts to come in and matter like you know i'm not saying like your standing in the world doesn't matter at all it's like yeah if you have financial security and you have uh like standing with loved ones you know in your community and stuff like that that's like a nice backup but that's second tier uh of your emotional makeup first tier of your emotional makeup is for sure the direction that you're moving and it sounds like what hamza may have uh maybe going through here is he set this goal. He kept going toward it. He was excited, enjoying the process. He reached the goal, and now he doesn't have another goal. And so he's not moving toward anything, and so it's it's not quite getting him what he wants. And then maybe there was also obviously the mistake of we miss uh, we misinterpret sometimes or just misunderstand what it is that we think we want, and then we get it, and it's not as good as we think it should be. And so, you know, I that's that's the thing is like you always have to be picking a new mountain to climb i see this with guys with uh quitting porn all the time like you know i'll help them get clean and then they will come back you know a few weeks maybe a few months later uh you know they're they and they've relapsed and very often like the the first thing i'll ask them is like well what were you focusing on after you quit porn and they don't they're like oh nothing i was just you know trying to live my life and and that sort of thing and that's the problem it's like a lot of guys they'll they'll find they'll start this self development kick, whether it's to get in shape, whether it's to quit porn, whether it's to become more productive or whatever. They'll do it, and like in that process, they'll feel on fire. They're like, "Yeah, this is great! Like I'm getting my shit together. It feels good." Blah blah. blah. They'll get it, and then they just won't set another goal because you know setting another goal is is hard. It's like you gotta you gotta setting a goal in itself is a goal. It's its own journey. But if you don't start on that, if you don't do that, if you don't keep moving forward, you're screwed. This is something that it's like we're emotional sharks. If you stop moving, you're going to die. Like that's the thing. It's like certain sharks, like if they stop swimming, they actually can't breathe anymore. They, they stop cycling, you know, um, water through their gills and then they'll, they'll die. So it's like they have to keep moving even when they sleep. And I think humans are like that too, but primarily on the emotional plane of life. You got to keep moving. You got to find the next goal. And, uh, you know, good luck to Hamza and all of this. Uh, if, uh, you know, if he sees this, you want to hit me up. I'm here to help you, bro. Uh, I would love to, to help you figure out what your next uh, step is. You know, uh, I can relate to this a lot because it's like one of the problems is 
that I've made, it's like, okay, I'm going to strive for this goal on, and I know that that's the fun part, right? But I don't, I hold, in order to get myself out of bed to do it, I'll hold my happiness as hostage until I receive the goal. And it's mm. like, well, no, that's all messed up. You know, you got to enjoy the process of getting there. So it's like, if you do that, then you're not happy for any of it. It's like, I'm not happy at the end because I'm not moving. And I'm not happy moving because I'm holding that as hostage as a prize, you know, for the end. It's so stupid, right? Yeah, no, it's like, that That makes a lot of sense. Like, the better way to do it is to, like, claim it as already a reality. And then you enjoy the process of watching it unfold. Mm, it's like, yeah. it's kind of like watching most movies or reading like most good most books like particularly like not all obviously there's some books and movies and stuff that are good that are tragedies um and there's a time to adopt that frame and i can talk about that you know after this but the the typical thing that we watch we know there's going to be a happy ending we just don't know how it's all going to play out right and so if you start from the beginning with the assumption that there's going to be a happy ending then you can enjoy the ride you can you can really embrace it. It can be enjoyable. You know, it's that's that's the key to life is to like aim big, go on an adventure, and and know that it's going to be you know lead you to happiness. That's you know, you, you, I guess there's there's doubt around that. I was like, well, maybe it won't work out, but I just think it's then it's a bigger story. But if you really want to understand that, check out my anabolic optimism guide. Uh, you, I don't even know where you can get that anymore. Uh, if you in the self mastery club, you absolutely can. <laughs> Oh, right on. Alrighty, next up, uh, here's Dr. Kevin Vost and uh, Pints with Aquinas on uh, how smartphones and slot machines addict their users with this shared principle. I thought this was interesting. People, you know, check their phone dozens and dozens of times a day, and it's using that behavioral principle of intermittent reinforcement when... Yeah, what what does that mean, intermittent reinforcement? Okay, it's like the one-armed bandits in... The gaming machines. Yes. And I, I don't know how it mean. is here, but where I am, Central Illinois, Springfield, virtually every corner now, they have these machines. That's Restaurants, terrible. gas stations, they're everywhere. Terrible. But the principle of intermittent reinforcement is, you know, basically reinforcement is, you know, we tend to do things more often if we were rewarded or reinforced or rewarded when we do them. But with things that are intermittently reinforced, you never know exactly when you're going to get that reward. And they say that when you never know when it's coming, that's when you're actually most likely to do the behavior most often like the slot machines ah it didn't work these last 24 times but hey lucky number 25 you know boom and then once in a while you'll get that and i even heard that food manufacturers did this with some form of one of the chips where for people who really like spicy stuff Mm. they engineered a bag of chips that only a certain percentage of them were spicy and you couldn't tell by looking at them so you'd have to keep eating and eating until you get the the lucky winner you know and get your spicy chip so so some people said the phones kind of work this way because, yeah, I mean, I'll do it myself sometimes. I'll look and say, hey, did I get any messages? Or, and, and most of the time there's nothing section. interesting there. But every once in a while, hey, oh, yeah, I'm glad I saw that. And even if that happens just every once in a while, it's enough to keep you looking. That's interesting. Well, I mean, I knew that, but I didn't think of it as applied to uh, food. I'm thinking about, have mm-hmm. you ever had those, um, those cheese curls called Jacks? No, but I'm going to try them now. Okay, well, like. I don't even like cheese curls, but I'll eat Jack's no? because uh, they have like every every few one of them, they'll have like this like it's like not cooked properly or something that's like gets crunchy rather than like soft. Mm. And it's like actually enjoyable. And I was like, huh, 
that's why I only eat. That's why I'll only eat those sometimes. But mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this this intermittent reward thing is is pretty big. Um, Any time that you're looking at some algorithmic feed, like generated feed, you're playing the slot machine because it's like if you're scrolling memes, most of the memes don't do anything for you. But every once in a while, there's that one that like makes you you know die laughing, and uh, this this is showing up in, in multiple places, like. For guys quitting porn, um, they'll they'll do this thing I call phishing, where they'll scroll some kind of algorithmic feed, whether it's like Imgur or Reddit or Instagram, and it's not explicitly you know sexual content. There's all kinds of stuff in there, but they know if they keep scrolling, eventually they're gonna get some boobs. You know, they're gonna get a nice butt on their screen, and they they can lie to themselves saying oh i'm just scrolling reddit man but the back of their mind knows that they're looking for some tits and so it's like as soon as they get that thing that serves as this cue it's like this trojan horse where it's like well it's not the bad thing when it is you're just doing it in a gamified manner and another place i've i've seen this in my own life where it really got me was when i've been hooked on competitive uh video games uh like particularly like the team-based ones where, you know, you're on one side and you fight another team. And what happens with them, like the, the, the main example I'm thinking of is this game called Overwatch, where it was, it's something where it's like 20% of the games are awesome. If you just have, it's so fun. But then a lot of the, like the majority of them are just kind of like mediocre, generally frustrating. And then a lot of them are like really terrible. And I'm convinced that, that's actually engineered, that they actually engineer the matchmaking so that you have these stomps sometimes where you just crush the other team, um, and then you have a bunch of ones where you just got to slog through it, right? They're just trying to maximize, uh, like, and, like, they can do this. They know everybody's skill on each team, and they can match it together to, like, make this kind of stuff happen. And this is, this is Blizzard. This is the company that created World of Warcraft, which, to my knowledge, was probably one of the first that really mastered this intermittent reward thing to keep guys hooked on video games. Cause you know, it was all about like, you know, at what rate will monsters drop loot that you need to level up your character? And it's it's literally just a more sophisticated slot machine. And so the <laughs> the I think they've expanded that into to so many different things today. And the fact that they're bringing in the food does not surprise me. I'm trying to think of like, where is it going to go next? Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. So you got to watch out for that. Figure out where in your life are you pulling that slot machine? Because mm, it's, yeah. uh, it's very easy to get hooked on that and then just spend way too much time and energy chasing that, that intermittent high. All right, next up, guys, we got a uh, we got a little battle of the sexes going down on TikTok, and here's an example of what I'm talking about. Why is it so hard for men to be vulnerable with women? Because ten out of ten times it's used against us. Now I'm gonna give you an example, right? So let's say you got a dude who's been keeping everything to himself day in and day out. Is that Forrest Griffin? I have no idea. Oh, it looks like I don't think it is. Maybe it just looks like Forrest Griffin. One day he comes home and uh, she says, how was your day at work? And he's finally had it, right? So he lets her know, I'm tired of my job. My boss treats me like shit. My coworkers suck. I'm fucking sick of it. It's eating me alive. I'm angry. I'm pissed off. About three weeks will go by, two, three weeks, whatever. 
little argument will come about. It could be about cheese or pepperoni pizza. It doesn't matter. And we can bring up, do I ever get upset? Boom, it's used against us. You remember that time you were pissed off because you were mad because you had a bad day at work? Why would we ever want to open up again when we know it's going to be used against us later down the road? Mm. Yeah, I get that. And that's something that a lot of guys say. It's like, well, the women will use it against you. Um, and they will. Absolutely. <laughs> they absolutely will do that. Um, but it's it's kind of like, all right, you have a choice then. You can never explain feelings that could be used against you, i.e. be vulnerable. Um, you could never do that to women. Uh, and what does that lead you to? Well, fundamentally, that means that you are going to be entering into a relationship that you will never have emotional intimacy in. Because intimacy, you have to act into me, you see. You know, that's the way I've heard intimacy described. It's like, into me, you see. That's what it means. It's like, you get to see me, all of me. And you might be able to have physical intimacy. You might be able to have sex. But that woman's not going to know you. She's not going to understand you. And so I'm not saying it's it's useful to just vent and let your emotions, you know, wear them on your sleeve with your girl. Because that's generally, I don't think, attractive. Nor is it a way that I think a man can really feel most masculine, most himself. Like men are, they approach this emotions differently. Like one of the things I saw is like uh, the the higher level of testosterone leads to lower level of facial expressiveness. And the reason for this is that like men in general, they're not supposed to be super outwardly emotive. Like that's like a, a survival thing because it's like you said, it's like, yeah, women can use your emotions against you, but you know who can really use your emotions against you? Other men who are competing against you or want to beat you up or do whatever. So it's like, that's why, you know, you see the guys who are, you know, most uh, intense, okay, like who who have to do something serious, they're not wearing their emotions on their sleeve. They're projecting strength even if they're scared shitless internally because, you know, they want to win. They want to do their best and putting their emotions out there is going to give that person ammo to work against them. But going back to the relationship with women is like there is a time to let a woman in. Um, but ideally, you want to do it in a controlled manner. Right. I think this is the way to do it. It's like if you're going to let a woman in uh, emotionally because you want that full intimacy with her, you want her to fully understand you and get you, then master the emotion first, whatever it is, try at least to your be the best of your ability. And if you're struggling to master it, that's where you need ma male friends. Let them help you find the frame that lets you hold the emotion. OK, because if you do that, well, then you'll be able to present your emotional realities to her but in a way in which you are showing yourself as competent, as, um, you know, on top of your stuff. And that's going to make her more attracted to you. And ultimately, it's going to make you more attracted to her because she now knows you better. She's now connected to you more. She can actually get in on your journey. She can root for you in a way that she couldn't root for you before because she didn't understand what you cared about, what you wanted to have happen. And so um, that's that's what I would say is is the key to this when it comes to you know uh, emotional openness with women. Otherwise, you're just you're you're gonna be disconnected. And if you're a guy who's just looking to have sex or whatever, 
it might still work for you. You know, that's fine. But I think a lot of guys out there, they want someone to really love them. And how can they really love you if they don't know you? If you don't, if you don't ever show them any of your emotional world, just, they're not going to. So obviously you want to be selective about it. Uh, otherwise, you're opening yourself up for unnecessary pain. Um, but if you choose your girl right and you share your emotions properly, then the risks are pretty low. You still might get hurt sometimes, but like, I don't know, sack up, stop being a pussy. Yeah. Sometimes life hurts. You know, that's that's the cost of loving a person. Like if you really are going to love a woman, then you are giving her access to the control room. And sometimes she's not going to be the be- her best self and she's going to do things. She's going to smash around in the control room, beat you up, and you got to eat it. You got to take it, okay? And it can be okay. You can actually learn how to be strong enough to take that pain. And like, I, I think the most heroic thing that you can do is learning how to continue to be open in the places you choose to be because you choose it because you want it. It's like, you know, for my, like with my wife, like I choose to be open to her regardless of what she does to me because that's, that's what I chose. That's what I vowed. I'm going to give myself to this woman. And yeah, sometimes she hurts me. And guess what? Sometimes I hurt her. That's the way like marriage works. But like, you can't be such a baby about it, all right? Like, yeah, sometimes people do underhanded and crappy things, but as you grow in the relationship, you can have a conversation about that and be like, hey, I don't want you to throw that shit back in my face. I want you to be on my team. And you can actually grow together and you can stop doing these things that hurt each other. Uh, and is it going to be perfect? Maybe not at first, maybe not after years, but it can always get better as long as you pick someone who is willing to grow with you. Well said, well said. You know what? Uh... You, you mentioned having male friends to kind of help support you and, uh, you know, learn how to basically control those emotions so you don't blow up in her face, you know? Right. And, uh, well, this next one here is from uh, the Purple Pill Debate subreddit, and the title reads, Having women as friends is based, which, as far as I can tell, is a new internet word that somebody made up to say, you know, it's truthful and grounded uh, for all of you uh, boomers out there listening. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> he goes on to write, I'm so tired of this red pill narrative that as a straight man, having female friends is somehow a waste of time or bad for men. The only time this is ever truly brought, you know, ever true broadly is when you are expecting sex or relationship out of that friendship. So, Mark, what's your what's your take on having friends of the opposite sex? Um, I'm gonna be honest. I don't have too many friends of the opposite sex. Uh, I don't. It's <laughs> but I did growing up. I did. Mm, like in yeah. high school, I had, you know, I was plenty, plenty of girls I was cool with, same with in college. But um, most of those relationships were friendships due to proximity, where yeah. it's like, hey, we're friends because, you know, we're in the same class together, or hey, we're working on this project together. And it's totally possible to like get along great with, with women. You know, I actually, I, I do actually, I do have female friends. They're just, family members, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I'm very close with my, my mother-in-law, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm close with my sister-in-law, like they're, they're great people, I really enjoy their company. But I think things get like where things get dangerous is one, if you are attracted to her, that's where things start getting a little slippery, because we were talking earlier in the show about how you your primal self is not logical, it's not rational. And so it's like, unless you feel really on lock with your sexual self-control, well, then it's very possible to start developing feelings for a woman. Um, 
And you got to ask yourself, do you want even want to deal with that potential? Right. And then the question is like, well, maybe you can handle it. But what about the people around you? What if you're in a relationship? Okay. Like I remember who was it? I think it was Mike Pence who said like, he doesn't have dinner with women who are not his wife or something like that. He's not and like, he'll, he'll never be alone with a woman who's not his wife. Right. Okay. So, yeah. And, and I get that. I mean, like he's like a, a high level, you know, political figure and like just the risks there, you know, like not mm-hmm. even just like for one, you know, maybe he's got a sensitive or jealous wife. You just, it's not worth it to him to like potentially make her upset uh, if he doesn't want to. Cause you know, you know, that's, that's his call. But, uh, then politically, what would happen? You know, if there's a lot of people who didn't like Pence, like at all. <laughs> you know, if he starts having dinners or having time alone with these other females, like who knows what they would do with it, right? So you got to think about the the whole context of it. And in general, if you're in a committed relationship, uh, maybe like those those female friends, like that's that's something that you're going to have to figure out if it really works for you or not. I'm sure if you're not attracted to the woman and she's clearly not attracted to you and everybody knows that it's probably no big deal at all. It's probably totally fine. Um, But at the same time, like, especially as you grow, your life becomes busier. You maybe get a family, that sort of thing. You don't have as much time for friends and you got to ask yourself, like, what is the utility of the friendship? Like, like what, like, what am I getting out of it? It's like, you can love people and think they're great and, and like really respect them and everything like that. But they're just not someone you're going to give a ton of your time to because it's just like for where you're at in your life, it just doesn't make the most sense. And for me, I think and I think for all men, you're just going to get more out of your male relationships because they are going to be able to help you in a way that your primary relationship, i.e. your wife, is not going to be able to help you. And so it's going to be able to, uh, you know, help you really just find your frame as we were talking about before, help you be able to identify like what is what is the way to look at this that is uh, beneficial to my my male makeup. Because women, they're always going to look at things through the brain of a woman, obviously. And men are going to look at it, the things through the brain of a man. And certain perspectives work better for male biology than female biology. And that's the bottom line. So it's like if you're looking to really find the strongest version of yourself – I think there has to be women in your life, but the they're probably gonna they're probably best fit in on the family side. When it comes to you know friendships, I think you're gonna get the most out of your male friendships for sure. At the same time, you know, are there exceptions? Yeah, it's not a problem if you have a female friend or two. But still, I don't think that should be where you're putting most of the eggs in your you know most of your energy. Like I know some guys. They're just more comfortable having female friends. And as soon as that's the case, that's a red flag for a man. It's like he only really gets along with women. Same same way as it is for a woman who only really gets along with men. Um, obviously, there are exceptions. But for the most part, that's a sign of an issue that you may want to look at. Next up, uh, looks like you uh, had, a, had a little discussion with the disgruntled atheist, Mark. What's uh, all this about? So, a guy that I follow, uh, he write he he writes really interesting stuff, um, and he wrote this post that was kind of uh, out of character for him, where he was um, talking about how he's just kind of filled with nihilism now, how he's just uh, like his exploration of science and things like that that it's it's killed his belief 
in the transcendent. And it's left him feeling rudderless, left him feeling like there is no meaning or purpose to anything in this world. And this is something that I think a lot of guys, especially the smarter guys, fall into. They fall into this, this pattern of nihilism where they, they deconstruct everything. Because that's, that's one of the, like the reflexes of the logical mind is it wants to look at, well, how can we break this down to its pieces? How can we understand its you know, components and how they fit together? And that direction of deconstruction, it removes the meaning of things. So for example, it's like you look at that beautiful sunset from the deconstructionist view, that feeling you feel, it's not the beauty of the universe. What you're feeling is just this, you know, neurochemical reaction that's just the result of uh, random explosions rippling throughout time since the you know, since the Big Bang. And when you real when you look at it from that perspective, it's like ah, I don't feel anything anymore. I don't care about this beautiful sunset. You feel dead. You see, you feel flat. It's like you reduce that feeling you have for your family or your your children even. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's just a, an evolutionary response. It doesn't really mean anything. And so as long as you keep breaking things down, you keep deconstructing things, eventually you're going to find no meaning. Because meaning is the product of moving in the opposite direction. It's not deconstruction. It's synthesis. It's, it's extrapolation. Okay? And so... What I think you need to do in life is like, yeah, you need to deconstruct sometimes. You need to break problems down. You need to understand the universe by looking at its smaller pieces. But after you do that, build it back up. It's like, all right, I am looking at this sunset, these colors, this moment. It feels beautiful to me. What does that mean about the nature of the universe that it created a being that gets emotionally moved by a sunset? What does that say about the nature of this world? What does it say about the nature of who I am? What does it say about me that like I am filled with love for my child? What kind of story does that tell about life, right? And as you start building up these bigger questions, uh, I think this is where you, you really start to, you start to find something. You start to realize that every single living thing First of all, how improbable it is that there are any living things to begin with. That says something. That's part of the story. But these living things, the fact that they exist is pretty astounding. But then all these living things they have is a drive. They have a goal. And that goal is something better. You know, it's like maybe it just wants food or maybe it wants shelter or maybe it wants to reproduce or maybe it wants pleasure. Um, you know, in humans, the, the desires, they get more sophisticated, right? They're like, oh, I want money. I want fame. I want power. I want, I want, I want something. I want something. I want something. But that something, if we keep looking at it, we keep thinking about it. It's like, I want goodness. I want this thing that looks good, good to me. And if we extrapolate that out, we, we abstract that goodness. And we say, well, what's the most good thing that you could want? We could call that heaven. We could call that God. That's what spirituality is. It's the pursuit of the transcendent good. It's the good that is the most good. And when you think about that, it's like, whoa, all of the creatures in existence, we have this orientation toward this ultimate good. What does that say about us? What does that say about the story that we live in? And, 
you know, if you look at it from that perspective, well, then a lot of the traditional religions, they start to make sense, right? Christianity certainly makes sense. It says, you know, you are this, you know, divinely created individual and you're meant for heaven in perfect union with God. Well, that seems to describe what, what I'm talking about here. And then, obviously, it starts getting a little bit more um, complicated when you're like, well, there's all this evil in this world. There's all this suffering. There's all this badness and, and things like that. And if, uh, if anybody wants, I'll do a whole big uh, breakdown of that, like how to reconcile evil in the world and how to maintain faith in goodness and that there is a good God or at least, you know, there is something good at the core of this, this human experience. Um, you know, a lot of like outside of just the subjective, right? Because people are like, well, there may not be objective goodness in this world or objective meaning, but like there's goodness to me. And so that matters to me. And like they just try and make it all subjective. And uh, I think you're, you're missing out there. Uh, you can do that, but I don't know how that is any better to you. Like, why why doesn't that lead you to nihilism? Because that doesn't that's just, that seems just as arbitrary as anything else. Then, so I think we need personally transcendent values, and this is actually something that this guy who I wrote this message to agreed with. He was grieving the loss of his like transcendent value systems. He was just struggling to get back to them. So. It's a, it's a big thing, but it's something that I wrestled with a lot actually in college. Like uh, during college, I abandoned you know my my Christianity and I explored all this other stuff, and uh, there was such a, a deep emptiness to it all, uh, and and I don't quite know how people reconcile that. So you know, feel free to share your thoughts in the comments around these sorts of things because I think that they're 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 the bigger questions that I think lurk in the background of the average guy. Uh, the more intellectual guy, the more philosophical guy, he will have examined some of this stuff for sure. But the average guy, I just think it's this background nihilism, this background relativism that really keeps him stuck. Because if there's no greater good, then all you have really is pleasure. That's it. That's the only thing you're you're, you're aiming for then is just, well, how much ple- if I if I can't have any goodness, if I can't have any meaning, well, then it's about, well, what kind of stimulation can I get? Because there's nothing else then beyond it, like right. And this is where our modern hedonism is born from: is this disconnect from the transcendent good. And this is why I think guys like Jordan Peterson and stuff like that they, they've become so popular because that's what they they talk about. They they pr- try to provide a modern intellectual framework for for the transcendent. And as we're seeing, our society doesn't really function super well without it. Right. Like it's uh, that's what Western values are built upon. And if transcendent meaning is going to get killed off in the way that the uh, the you know, the really the the liberal Marxists want. Then we are going to spiral into that relativistic hedonistic hell. They think you can just like replace it with some kind of, uh, you know, subjective thing. But uh, I just don't think you can. And I think we're seeing that in our culture today, that this this loss of God, the 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 Nietzschean death of God, it's still, you know, it's it's our biggest problem because from that lack of belief that there's something worth sacrificing for, something transcendently good, then uh all we have then is our our selfish pursuit of pleasure. And that's gonna always lead to something ugly, I think. If you wanna light the spark uh, of you know discovering the transcendent good a movie that i highly recommend 
is Mully, M-U-L-L-Y. It's actually free on YouTube. You can check it out. It's about a man from Kenya and his journey. Um, well, I won't spoil it, but he started out as an orphan and uh, basically it's his life story and what he's done. I highly it recommend it. Story? It's fantastic. It's a true story. Awesome. Really killer stuff. And and people don't know about it, so I like to I like to share it with you, you know, and you guys. I haven't heard of that. I'll so, have to watch that. I'll watch that with my wife. It's pretty great. So, awesome. guys, thank you for making it to the end. If you haven't seen last week's episode, we talk about how to embrace discomfort, neurochemical spirituality, and some recent silliness that happened on the uh, anti-work subreddit. So, with that, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week, and ooyah. Yeah, thanks for showing up, everybody. Make sure you sign up for the, the new web class below. Check it out. Hope you really dig it. Ooh, yeah. See you next one.